Well, good morning, everyone. Today we are launching into a new series called The Verse That Changed Everything. I'm so excited about this one. This is actually a really special day for us. Um, not only do we celebrate Independence Day coming up, and that's always a lot of fun, and, and we get to play that game, uh, are those gunshots, transformers, or fireworks. So that's a blast, uh, no pun intended. But this is a special day for us because we launch a new series. We uh, have a prayer Sunday today where we're going to have kind of a, a, some focused times of prayer together, which will be wonderful. It always is. And even if you're the type of person that comes in and goes, oh, no, that's today. It's a prayer service today. This makes me feel uncomfortable. Don't worry. I, I think you'll actually really get a lot out of it today. But then also, this is the last Sunday before my sabbatical. And I already had one person today be like, you're still here? So don't worry. I'll be, I'll be gone soon. But... But next Sunday is actually the start of the sabbatical, so I'll be out uh, of the preaching anyway for a couple of months. And I want to spend a little bit of time here explaining kind of all three of these things. So the sabbatical, it's not really a vacation. It's a focused time to have a break from the preaching and the regular ministry responsibilities, largely because the the um, role of preaching every week or almost every week is just a lot of stress on a person. And so I kind of all, all pastors understand this, that it's like you always have a term paper with an oral presentation coming very soon. And so you're just always getting ready for that. And it just adds a lot of stress that impacts every area of life and your family. So it's good to have a, an extended break from that every now and then. That's part of what a sabbatical is for. There are three kind of aspects of a sabbatical. Refresh, renew, and reload. The refresh part is that break. The renew part is personal and professional development. So I'll be reading some books and doing some personal study, as well as working with a coach just to try to have some personal and professional growth for me. And then there's the reload aspect, reload, which is to get ready for the future of ministry and the next five years of ministry and get ready for the next series that we're going to do a little bit, which is called Created to Connect. I'm really excited about that one. So those are kind of the three aspects of the sabbatical. Some people have asked if we're going to go radio silent and just isolate ourselves during this time, go off grid, you know, no, that's not what we're doing at all. We'll still be here most of the time. We'll take a few trips. Uh, my family and I will spend some time with family during that time, uh, but we'll be around. We'll still be hanging out and doing things with friends and all that stuff. Um, all of our good friends are in this church, and so we'll continue all, all that stuff going. It's just going to be a break from mostly the preaching and staff leadership responsibilities for a little bit. There are a couple things right now that are time-sensitive that I will still be involved with. So we're, uh, the, the biggest ones are we're still recruiting a couple of pastors to join our team, a family ministries pastor and a senior high pastor, and that can't just stop for two months. So I'll still be involved with that process, and we actually have some very good candidates that we're looking at right now, so we hope to have some people to bring in and present um, sometime soon to you so that you can get to know them. It's really, really exciting stuff. So that's the sabbatical. Uh, let's see if there's there anything else there. Oh, and then the series. So starting today, we're going to have this series with 10 different speakers coming in, and it's the verse that changed everything. We asked each of them to pick the verse that had the biggest impact on their life. So really what that means is you're automatically going to get their best stuff. Whatever has made the biggest difference to them personally, and there's a personal story attached to that in some way, that's what you're going to get in this series. So I think it's going to be great. You're going to hear from Barrett Moore next week, Kevin Crosley, Dr. David Croto, Quentin Steef, Mike Shields, John Richardson, Dr. Isla Tassie, Brad Waz, and Andrew Miller. So some of those names you recognize, some of those names you may not recognize, they're all going to be great, so make sure you're here every week for that. 
Today, I get to share the verse that made one of the biggest impacts on my life, and it has to do with prayer and my prayer life, and so today is going to be a prayer-focused Sunday, but it's also the kickoff of the verse that changed everything. Prayer has always been kind of a mystery to me, and maybe to you as well. If you really think about prayer deeply enough, at least I found myself asking, how does this really work? How does the prayer mechanism actually work? I'm a very rational and logical person. So I can accept the fact that there are spiritual things that I don't understand. I can accept the fact that maybe God just hasn't revealed certain things to me yet and and how prayer works is kind of a part of that. But prayer has just always felt very kind of mystical and it sort of bothered me in a way. I've, I've heard a lot of people, even pastors and theologians, talk about prayer almost as being some kind of mystical force, like in Star Wars, where there's this power to prayer that's in prayer itself. It's, it's not just God's power, but it's like there's this prayer force that you can tap into and utilize. I've even uh, read some, some theologians talk about prayer like this. Prayer is the means that God uses to, to enact his will in the world. And I think, well, that's kind of in, like prayer. God, there's this prayer force that God uses to bring about his will in the world. And then they'll say, and prayer is also the force that you can use to enact God's will in the world. And I'm like, well, I thought I was asking God to do something, but I guess there's this prayer force that's making an impact. And, and maybe I was just thinking about this too deeply. But I do remember a time when I was sitting in my office many years ago at a different church and just wrestling with the idea of prayer and thinking through how does any of this actually Does God actually accomplish things in the world through some sort of mystical prayer force? And can we do that as well if we just understand how to tap into the power of prayer? Is that how that works? Now, this was especially difficult for me at this time because we had recently, within the last year, I think, lost our twins. And so it it was confusing and conflicting for me because at the time when, when Jenny was pregnant with the twins, we, my faith was at an all-time high. And my prayer life was as amazing as, as it had ever been. Just so diligent. So, and we were, we were rocking it in the spiritual world. And we were praying for them every day. And, and to think that we did everything we could to possibly tap into that, that power of prayer and faith in God. And then still I ended up holding their lifeless bodies in my hands. That was... That was tough. Does prayer just not do anything? Everything that I've heard and read about prayer, is that just a, a, a bunch of baloney that doesn't actually do anything? It just seemed like it was powerless. It's, it's this mystery to me. Maybe you've asked the question sometimes, why does it seem like other people's prayer success rate is higher than mine? You ever thought about that? Like, why does this guy get 60% of his prayers answered and I'm sitting here at 15 or 5 you know, why do some people have a higher success rate of prayer? Is it more faith? More emotion? Uh, I, there's a book that I really love on prayer, but one of the statements is, is if your prayers aren't working, try tears. Like, okay, so if I can muster up some tears, then maybe I'll get what I want out of God. Is that how it works? More faith, more emotion, more consistency, more persistence, more good works. A higher quantity of people praying, like if it's five, that's, that's something good, but 10 is way better, and then God's going to do what you want. Honestly, I just wanted to know, what's the formula? What is the secret formula to make prayer work for me? Have you, can, can you be honest with me for a second? How many of you have ever kind of wondered that? Like, is there more I can do to make my prayer more effective? Okay, we've got like 10 honest people out there. Thank you. 
I, I want to pray and I want to see prayer have results and I want to know, is there something else I can do to make that happen? What's the formula for prayer? Um, and so maybe the formula for prayer looks kind of like this. Maybe the formula for prayer, if we put that up on the screen, is faith plus emotion plus consistency plus persistence times good works minus bad works. Okay, you got to factor that in there. To the power of the quantity of people praying equals your prayer score. And if it's high enough, if it's over a certain threshold, and we don't know what that threshold is, maybe it's 100. If it's over a certain threshold, then the prayer gets answered. And if it's under, then it doesn't. Don't you kind of feel like that's the way people, people treat prayer? It's like, if, there's, if I do enough of these good things and have enough of these lined up, then prayer is going to be effective for me. And even if you don't believe in some kind of mystical prayer force, like some people do, still it does seem like, is there a certain amount I do that I get to a tipping point and then God finally does what I want him to do? And that was another thing that bothered me about prayer, is that we treated prayer like we're trying to convince God of something. This is the all-powerful God of the universe, the one who created everything, the one who has all the power, who knows everything, who knows the future. And, and here I am using this communications method to try to convince him to do something I want him to do. Is that really what this is supposed to be? It was just a very confusing thing for me. Is that what prayer is? And of course, maybe I was just thinking about it too hard and I needed to just accept that I couldn't understand it. I just needed to do it because it's a command. And you do it because it's a command. You don't need to understand it. And I kind of accepted that for a while, but there I was sitting in my office, getting ready for some message I was going to preach. And I read James 4 and it hit me in a brand new way that I never understood before. And it was almost like the scales fell from my eyes and I started to see prayer in a way that I, that I never had before. And so I wanna share with you what James 4 teaches us about our prayer lives in three different sections. And I also wanna give you a chance to put that into practice right away. So this is gonna be less of a sermon and more of a workshop. Now, I, I don't know for sure, but I think I see some of these out there. Did you get a prayer guide when you walked in? Did you get a little sheet of paper? Okay, good, good, I see, I see them out there. That may help you as you walk through the three sections of prayer today. Um, and we're gonna kind of work through these together. So let's start in James chapter four, verse one. We're gonna read the first six verses, and then we're gonna give you a time to actually put this into action. James 4.1. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So James begins this chapter with a rebuke. The overall theme here is that God is not working among you, even in the ways you would like him to, because of your sinfulness. 
because of your attitudes, because of your actions. I counted seven different sinful behaviors or attitudes in these six verses. And this is a section we're gonna call repent. Confess to God and turn from these things. Quarrels, any infighting that we have, evil desires, which of course we struggle with every day. Jealousy, wish I had what they had. I'm gonna covet that, lust after that. A lack of faith in God, boy, that's something we struggle with every day. Self-centeredness, I care about myself more than other people. I want what makes me happy, what gives me pleasure. Along those lines, friendship with worldly things. Well, it's okay, you know, to kind of do some things that God would oppose, but I'm gonna get close to him. I maybe not do it myself, but I'll get close to him. And then pride. God opposes the proud, James says, but gives grace to the humble. Now, the formula that I mentioned earlier is a bit tongue-in-cheek, right? It doesn't work exactly like that. But all of those things are actually factors in our relationship with God. And if we just openly reject God, and if we sin against him, and that remains a part of our life, then God does say that impacts our prayers. That's not to say there's some magic formula and some score that's going to make your prayer get answered. But that is to say that if your life is filled with things that God hates then he's going to be less likely to want to listen to your prayers. And that is actually right out of scripture. First Peter 3 says that if a husband doesn't treat his wife well, his prayers will be hindered. That's right out of scripture. Men, if you don't treat your wives well, God is not going to pay as much attention to your prayers. Now, for some reason, God doesn't say that to the wives. So I don't know what to make of that. But at least for the husbands, you have to treat your wives well or your prayers will be hindered. Isaiah 59.2 says that God turns away and does not listen because of excessive sin. And so if your life is filled, we all struggle with sin. And we know John says, if anyone says he has no sin, he's deceived himself and the truth is not in him. But, but if there is continued persistent sin in your life that you know about and you don't repent of it and you don't turn from it and you just keep doing it, Isaiah 59.2 says that that's the kind of sin God turns away from and will not listen when those people cry out to him. Proverbs 28.9 says that God detests the prayers of people who ignore his laws. So you can actually make God less likely to bless you if you are ignoring his commands while also trying to pray to him. It's like you're being a hypocrite. God, I want you involved in my life in the ways that I want, but I don't want you involved in my life in the ways that I want to do whatever I want to do. And the Bible says that God detests those prayers. So what I want us to do now is spend a few minutes in this space called repent. And to, to repent, repent means not only to confess our sins to God, to admit that we've done wrong, but then to turn from them, to turn away from them. And we're actually going to take communion right now as well. In fact, I'll go ahead and invite our communion servers to come up and join me here. We're going to combine these two things because... Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians that before you take communion, you're supposed to examine yourself to make sure that you don't take it unworthily. So we're gonna do these two things together. A time for us to examine our hearts and our lives and find any of those areas in us, those seven things that I mentioned earlier that are in the sheets in front of you. And you may even wanna circle one or two of them, you know, so your neighbor can't see, fold the paper. Or jot a note on there or something. And just commit to God during this time, Lord, I confess this to you and I'm gonna turn from this. In fact, maybe you need to take drastic action this week to turn away from some sinful attitude or behavior that's in your life. But now is our time before we go any further with the rest of the things. 
It's our time to confess and repent to God. As we take communion, I wanna let you know, especially if you're new with us, which you came on a doozy of a Sunday if you're new with us. So there's gonna be a lot going on in this service. That's not how we usually do things, but I, I hope you'll be blessed by it anyway. We're gonna pass the trays through the rows and there are two cups in a stack. The bottom cup has the bread, the top cup has the juice, but we'll take the bread first. If you're watching with us online right now, which I know a lot of people are traveling today, so if you're watching online and you wanna pause to go grab some elements to participate with us, feel free to pause the video and start it when you are ready to be a part of this with us. If you are not a follower of Jesus, then just pass the tray on by you. This is really only for those who have trusted their life to Jesus. This is a way of remembering the sacrifice that he made for us by dying on the cross. The blood which or the juice which represents the blood, the body which the bread which represents the body. And so if you have not trusted in Jesus and in his sacrifice for you, then it makes no sense for you to participate in this. But still watch, pay attention, pray. Ask God if, if maybe he would want you to commit your life to Jesus and would show up in your life today in a big way. Of course, we know that he does. So take a few moments, confess, repent, and prepare your hearts, examine your lives before we take communion.
for those of you that sit on the main floor, you have no idea how big the balcony is. And to make it to everyone that's in the balcony takes a little bit of time. So I wanted to make sure that we're all ready. Have every, has everyone been served in the balcony? I'm getting a thumbs up, so we're good. Thank you. So Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. We're gonna take the bread now. He said, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So we've had a time now of repentance, and the next section we're going to talk about is return. James goes on in James chapter 4 to say, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. So there are six things that I see in this passage that help us return to God. And you see things like tears in there, but it's not tears to try to get God to do what you want him to do in prayer. It's tears of genuine remorse over the way that you've acted as you come back to God and return to him and want to live in a different way. Here are the six things that we see in this passage. Number one, humility before God, recognizing that his ways are better and higher and that I haven't been living according to those in many ways in my life. And so I'm returning to his ways, resisting the devil, Resisting the temptations and the influences that are on our lives. So many things in this world try to get us off track and try to distract us from what God wants to do in our lives. So we need to resist the devil and the temptations of the enemy. Growing close to God. Actually being intentional about setting aside time for our relationship with him. And that looks different for different people. Let's be honest. It doesn't have to be one set pattern for everyone but making sure that there's an intentionality of growing close to God through his word and through prayer and through living a life that, that honors him and his commands. Having a pure heart and mind. Jesus talked about how it's not just about the things you do, but it's also about what's in your heart and your mind. It's, it's if, you are, if you are dwelling on, if you are lusting after, if you are hating someone, it's as bad as committing the physical act of, say, adultery or murder. And so it's having a pure heart and mind, being loyal to God, making sure that he is such a priority in your life that when it comes down to doing the thing you know God wants you to do or not doing the thing you know he doesn't want you to do, and whatever the immediate gratification is that you want in the moment, you're going to choose God. You're going to be loyal to God over whatever that other thing is. And then mourning sin, mourning sin. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, James says, and gloom instead of joy. Now, that's not, to, that's not to take away from the parts of Scripture that say we're supposed to always be joyful. But that's to say there are certain times and certain aspects of our lives where we have to say, 
this is worth grieving over. This week, I was a part of a couple of funeral services. There was a burial service and a celebration of life service. And so there was an appropriate level of grieving there. There are times in our lives when we need to grieve, but even more than grieving the loss of life, we should grieve sin. We should mourn our own sin and treat it as serious as it is, as serious as God treats it. These are commands that James gives to us. Not just suggestions, but these are commands from him, imperatives that that he has given to us and now I pass along to you from him. These are things we need to do. But we can also ask God to help us with these things. And that's what our next prayer time is about. So these are commands that you need to do, but now we're gonna spend a couple of minutes just praying and asking God to help us with them. And my advice to you is to look at that list in front of you and try to identify what is the one that I struggle with the most. What is the one that I really need to work on and do more of? And I'm gonna commit to doing that, but I'm gonna ask God now to help me with that. And, And maybe it's having a close walk with God. You keep meaning to make it a priority in your life, but other things keep getting in the way, whether it's hobbies or work or entertainment or even family, even good things might get in the way of having a close walk with God. So maybe it's time to pray about that and commit that to God. Or maybe it's being loyal to God and the distractions of life and of the world keep pulling you away from him and taking you down a path that you know you're not supposed to go, but you just keep falling into it and your loyalty is more to the world sometimes than to God. So Ask him for help with that and commit to change. We're gonna give you just a couple of minutes now as the music plays to spend some time on this returning to God. And then we'll, we'll sing another song and talk about one more aspect. So we've now covered repent and return. And the third section we're gonna talk about is request. And this is the part that actually changed my understanding of prayer in a major way for me and just unlocked a new depth to my prayer life that I didn't have before. It actually comes back in James 4, 2. So we're gonna look at that briefly. James says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. And then here's the key part. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Now, maybe you've understood this all along, or maybe you've heard me teach on this in the past because I have, and so this is not news to you. But when I finally understood the implications of verse two here, it resolved so much misunderstanding about prayer for me. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And that may seem like a duh moment to you, but here's what that really means. God was willing and able to do some things for the people James was writing to, and the only reason he didn't was because they didn't ask. That's the implication of James' statement. There were things that James is saying God would have done for you, And the reason he didn't do it is because you didn't ask. He's literally telling them God had his finger on the trigger, was willing to do it, but because you didn't ask for them. Or he says in the next verse, some cases you ask, but with the wrong motives. In other words, there were things that God was willing to do for you that you asked for, but because you asked with the wrong motives, because your heart wasn't right, he didn't do them. But he was willing to do it. 
He was right there willing to do them for you. And I'm not sure if I can fully put into words how helpful this was for me to understand that it wasn't up to me to convince God of something. That's not what prayer was. It was not a convincing God. It wasn't some magical formula that I had to figure out and put together in order to make prayer work for me. It's not like prayer is a mystical force to be manipulated to accomplish whatever I wanted done. Prayer is a way of asking God to be involved in our lives and and in ways that hopefully he is already willing to be involved. And when God says yes, it's not because we've managed to change his mind. He's always willing. So here's how prayer works. Prayer is you approaching God in conversation from the right heart and mindset with the humility to recognize that he knows better than you do. And so if he says no, it's, it's actually better. He may know that what you're asking for is actually not going to have a good result in your life or someone else's life. Or that by rejecting your request, something better is actually going to happen. And, and that's where our faith comes in, that even as we ask, he knows better than we do. Why does it seem then like persistent prayer is sometimes required to get a positive answer? Did you manage to wear God down? Or was he always willing but wanted you to learn to be consistent? You see the the nuance there, the distinction there of, is it that I'm so persistent that I've worn him down and he finally gives in? Or is it that God was willing but he wanted me to learn to be consistent in my prayer life? Why does it seem like sometimes emotional prayers are answered? Is it because God can't stand to see you cry and he gives in eventually? Sometimes that's what it feels like for some people. Or... Is it that you finally learned the real value of the thing that you're asking for? And your tears are just a byproduct of that. And they show that you, you have learned how important this thing is. And that's what God was waiting for. Why does it seem that God doesn't answer the prayers of people who are caught up in sinful living? It's because he's, is it because he's waiting for their good to outweigh their bad? Or is it because he wants you to turn from your sin and to live righteously because it's better for you? And so you see the different perspective. It's not about manipulating God to get what you want. But it is about all of those things we've already talked about. Not from a standpoint of this is how I can get the thing I'm praying for. But God knows this is a better way to live for you. And he wants you to learn these things. And until you learn these things. And until you invite him into your life. And until you ask him to be involved with the right motives. With the right heart. With the right kind of attitudes and lifestyle. Why would he give you the thing that you're asking for? it might actually reinforce negative patterns of living for you. And so I hope you can see how James 4.2 just completely changed the way I looked at prayer. And I'm not saying that there's no more mystery to prayer anymore, that there still isn't a sort of a spiritual element to it that I don't fully understand. I mean, it, it's easier now that we have science fiction and now that we have cell phones and now that we have technology that we can think about it in some of those terms and think, well, that's kind of how prayer works. But it's still, there's still a mystery to it. That I don't fully understand. But it's not our job to change God's mind or to wield some prayer force. So here's what I'm saying. There are good things that God is willing to do. But he's waiting for you to ask. And to ask with the right heart and the right mindset. And it's not that you're convincing him or changing his mind to do it. God doesn't change in that way. But there are things he's waiting for. He's waiting for you to learn something. Or he wants you to be a part of the solution maybe. Or he knows that it's not actually a good thing that you're asking for. Or he knows that you're asking with the wrong motives right now. You know, a loving parent does not give a child everything they want. 
That wouldn't actually be loving. A loving parent doesn't step in and do everything for a child that the child wants the parent to do. A loving parent doesn't step in and take care of every challenge that a child faces when the child hasn't even asked for help. We call those helicopter parents. They just jump in and do everything for their kids. That's not a loving parent. That's an overbearing parent. A loving parent will sometimes say no to a child's request because they see a bigger picture that the child cannot see. They see ramifications and consequences and context that the kid doesn't have. They know that maybe what they're asking for will actually be harmful to them. A week ago, a couple of weeks ago, I took my son to a baseball game. And as part of the fun, we've never done this before, we went to a store first and we got a whole bunch of candy. Just a big bag full of candy. And we went to the baseball game and we just chowed down. And, and, and we paced ourselves, you know, it was only like four candy bars an inning. So we get to, we get to the seventh inning stretch and I'm like, I think you should settle down. We've probably had enough candy at this point. Like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. Like, no, no, I really think, I really think you should probably stop at this point. Like, no, 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 we've got this amount left. I'll just space it out through the innings. We'll be okay. All right. It's a special day. It's a fun day, whatever. Let's have some fun. Later that night. We get home, and my son looks at me and says, Dad, next time I want to eat that much candy, just stop me. I don't feel good. And so a loving parent sometimes knows this is not good for you, and I need to stop you, or I need to not enable you in this way. And what if we treated our relationship with God more like that where we understood sometimes, hey, God knows better than we do as our loving father what we need and what we don't. And we may ask for something and we may even get frustrated and upset that he doesn't give us what we want. But it's an act of faith to recognize that maybe he knows better than we do. God is our loving father that knows that prayer and a a lifetime habit of prayer is one of the best things we can do to grow spiritually and to grow in our faith. And so God wants us to, to develop that rhythm and that habit of consistent and persistent prayer, not because it ends up getting us what we want, but because it's good for us and it's good for our relationship with him. And we we confuse these things so often into thinking that it's all about getting the thing I'm after. But what God is after is a close relationship with you. What God is after is your growth, your spiritual growth and your endurance and your faith. And so all of this should lead us into a daily habit of communication with him. If you're feeling lost, if you're feeling hopeless, if you're feeling like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, if you feel like your success rate is 15%, and you're like, why isn't this better? Maybe we just need to change our perspective on prayer. Maybe it's not about trying to get what we want. Maybe it's about accepting that whatever God wants is best and better. And yet at the same time, not taking our foot off the gas and saying, well, then I'm not gonna ask for anything. Because we know, James says, there are times where God wants to step in and is willing to step in, but he wants you to invite him into your life. He wants you to to invite him into the process as a loving and gracious God. He doesn't force himself into every situation. Sometimes it's nice as a parent to have your kid just come to you and ask you, hey, could you help me with this? And admit that they don't know everything. It doesn't happen very often. And I know it gets less frequent as they get older. But it is nice to have your kids say, hey, I would like you to help me with something. And that's what God wants from us as well. And we use this idea of inviting Jesus into your life as terminology for when we first trust in Jesus and we become a Christian. We invite Jesus into our life. Or some people would say, invite him into your heart. 
But the truth is we need to invite God into our life every single day. We need to welcome him and invite him back into our life and say, God, here's what I'm dealing with today. Could you help me with this? God, could you give me wisdom in this place? God, there's a situation, this challenge that's in front of me. I would love for you to help with this, but I understand if you choose not to because you know what's best and I don't. But what if God was more than happy to help you with that thing in that instance because you have the right heart, the right mentality, and it's not gonna teach you the wrong message to step in in that way, but he's waiting for you to ask. He's waiting for you to invite him in and have this communication with him on a daily basis where you say, God, I want you to be involved in my life in a big way. God wants you to invite him in the big things and the small. So Paul says in Philippians chapter four, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. So our last section today is called requests. We've had repent, return, and requests. This last one might take some of you out of your comfort zone a little bit. In fact, I hope that it does. We've done this a couple of times here. If you want, during this prayer time, you can stay where you are and just pray and make your requests known to God in that way. But you also have the option, as this is the last thing we're going to do today, to get up and move around and go pray with other people. Maybe there's a situation you know about that you need to go request for them. And you wanna get up and go walk over and pray for them. Maybe a group of you who are familiar with some situation or need or prayer request or have a, a similar passion for God to do something could pray together as a group. Or maybe you just pray by yourself where you are quietly. There's no judgment either way. But I just want you to know that space is there for you if you do want to move around. This is the last thing we'll do today to just get up and go pray for somebody else and, and make a request before God for them. Or make a request for yourself, whatever you want to do using this time. We're gonna give you a few minutes to several minutes to, to have these prayers of request. And then I'm gonna give you a, a two minute warning, okay? So that way you'll know we're about to wrap up and then we'll close in prayer today. Let's go ahead and bring our requests before God. Heavenly Father, I wanna thank you for being a God who wants to hear from us. And sometimes I think we take that for granted, just the fact that we can communicate with you anytime. Uh, and we take it so for granted that we don't take advantage of it sometimes. And just as the people that James was talking to did, where there were times where you were willing to step in and be involved, but they weren't asking. Or if they were asking, it was with the wrong attitude, the wrong heart, the wrong lifestyle, the wrong motives. And God. We want our lives to be close with you and to be in line with your will, not so we can get what we want, but because we love you. We recognize that your ways are better than our ways, God. But we also know that our, our prayers are hindered when we aren't living the way you want us to. We know that there are things you wanna do in our lives that you wanna, you wanna bless us with, you wanna to move and work in this world, but it's this collaborative thing with you, and boy, that is a mystery why you would love us so much to involve us in your plan and, and your world in that way, but you do. So God, help us to be people of faith and people of prayer, people who don't get caught up in, in kind of some of the, um, the beliefs about prayer that maybe aren't actually accurately reflected in your word. 
but help us to have consistent lives of prayer and relationship with you where we're just praying about everything, God. And so excited to see when you say yes and, and faithful to trust when you say no. We thank you for this time that we've had together. We pray that you'd help us to be people of prayer this week. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, before you go today, I wanna mention that if you wanna give to support the ministry of First Free Church, you can do that at efree.org slash give. Thank you for your generosity. Um, we're, the, the giving is, is going well this year and we're very excited about that. And so please continue. And that just allows us to look at even more ministry that we can do. So we're excited about that. Also, if you need prayer today, I know we just had a lot of prayer, but if you need prayer today, we'll have some people up front, including myself. If you would like us to pray for you, please come up and let us know. Hope you have a wonderful week. We look forward to seeing you next week for the next episode of The Verse That Changed Everything. God bless. Thank you.